Edmonton is now a quarantine calzone. This week, we tried really hard to find you some news that wasn't COVID-related. We didn't really succeed. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. So we're doing a remote show today. That's going to come out how it came out. (laughs) It's hard to do when you're not sitting across from the other person looking at them face to face. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 77, where, like we, we mentioned at the start, we are social distancing. So Mac is no longer sitting across from me. We are staring into computers in our social isolation cubicles. Bedroom, cubicle, same difference these days. Pants, of course, optional because like any Zoom lecture and this, you can tell all of your professors, University of Alberta students, pants are optional in all remote work and all remote conferences. We're going to set into the new normal of quarantine, but we got to start every episode with the rapid fire segment brought to you by Not Coronavirus. The U of A has ended its search for president and vice chancellor, selecting Bill Flanagan to serve as vice chancellor to the newly selected chancellor, Peggy Garrity. They will be joining Cleet Quagelbury, John Coganshine, and Lemongrass Wimblesbury, the latter three now just generated, as names one might expect out of a silly Midwestern name generator. The Edmonton police have begun seizing domain names of illegal online vendors of black market cannabis. The site sometimes featured misleading information that might suggest to a potential buyer that the website was legal, which EPS unequivocally confirms they are not. Said one EPS constable, quote, in the same way that we can, as a province, literally sell weed and lose money, we too at the EPS can engage in an ineffective, time-intensive enforcement actions that really do not do a lot to curb crime that's not hurting a lot of people. We've got a really talented team of anti-piracy enforcers teaching us the ropes, end quote. The University of Alberta, faced with an almost 18% budget cut over the last two provincial budgets, will have to eliminate up to 1,000 positions to make up the difference. With 400 positions already gone, the university would be looking at laying off up to 600 more in the coming year. However, senior leadership is remaining positive. Having maintained close contact with provincial leadership and memorized all the UCP zero-sum talking points by rote, there's a clear point of celebration to be had. Said a senior official, quote, at least the government isn't forcing us into the front lines of a pandemic before cutting our jobs. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by The Loop, a new podcast from CBC Edmonton. Let's hear what it's all about in this trailer. Hey, I'm Tara McCarthy. I work at CBC Edmonton. And there's a lot of things that happen in this city any given week. So we thought, how about we boil it down to some of those top stories, the ones that make you think, or the ones that maybe even make you laugh. Maybe they make you cringe. So we're putting together a new podcast called The Loop. Check it out weekly through CBC Edmonton. The Loop, you might be wondering, okay, what's this all about? Well, it is literally about keeping you in the loop. More importantly, it's all about going behind the scenes. All sorts of details, I see it every day in the newsroom, don't actually make it into those compact radio and television pieces that you see and that you hear. So we thought we'll take stories like these and we're gonna find out more. We're gonna talk to the reporters about some of the things like how they even found out about this stuff. We'll talk a little bit about everything, politics, we'll throw some arts in there, community of course. It's about all things Edmonton because there's always more to tell. There's always more to the story. 
I've been in Edmonton for about a year, and I see stories just constantly change. They ebb and flow. I'm learning new things about the city all the time. And maybe you've been here for decades, but there's always new things that we can uncover. So we want to talk about those stories right here on The Loop. Stay in The Loop with us, our new weekly CBC Edmonton podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts, or more importantly, through your CBC Listen app. I feel like I have something in my tooth. Thank God it's a podcast. (laughs) A welcome addition to the local podcast scene, another municipal podcast. Though I gotta say, uh, when you sent me that the loop was happening, I'm like, there goes our monopoly and our guaranteed (laughs) best in Edmonton. Competition's a good thing, right? And we've got a big head start. Yes. uh, We congratulate the loop on entering the space and taking the inevitable second place for best municipal podcast. No doubt. No doubt. You can find the loop on the CBC Listen app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find it online at cbcedmonton.ca slash Edmonton. How have you been in the last six months since we last talked last week? Right? That's exactly what it feels like. Uh, I mean, we were looking at pictures and things like that this week when we're doing, you know, Sharon was doing her food roundup and we were like, that was just a week ago that we were at Downtown Dining Week's launch event and things seem normal. Like time doesn't mean anything anymore. That's how I am. I've always worked remotely, so this has been very little change on the day-to-day. Like you work from home usually, so, right, you're a pro at social isolation. Yeah, my company (laughs) is entirely remote. However, I've compensated as an individual by I aggressively go out in the evenings. Right, so I think this is really interesting because you've mentioned this a few times when I've come over to your place that, you know, you're still going out to something. We record this in the evenings usually, and you had quite a streak going right? Basically, it started at around fringe. I fringed really hard this year and I went to 28 shows in the two week span. That inevitably means that I just didn't sleep over those past couple (laughs) weeks. And the day after it ended, I'm like, well, I don't want to stop doing things. It feels weird to just sit down. So I kept just making more plans. And then I looked at my calendar later on and I'm like, oh, It's been 82 days where I've gone out and done something new every night. So at that point, I started maintaining the streak. And there was a couple times that I said, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do stuff. But like, do I really want to end on day 173? And the answer, of course, is no. So I kept the streak going. So what did you get up to? What what, what was the uh, what was the final number then? The streak has now ended at 216. It ended this Tuesday when the province declared the state of emergency. Uh, When Corona started happening, I started engaging in what I called, quote, expert mode of the streak where Mm. I need to go out and I need to do something new, but I can't do it in a way that interacts with any other people or at all endangers the population. Um, And that was difficult, very difficult to do every night. But then after the province declared the state of the emergency, I sat down and I thought, okay, when this is all over, do I want to boast that I went out and did something every night during the pandemic? Right. And that just, I didn't want to be that guy. So my stupid streak, my uh, point of pride for no particular reason is now over and the pandemic has killed it. And now you're just like the rest of us. Just like the rest of you, except (laughs) having trained my body to want to do something new every night out in public, this is very, very hard for me. Cabin fever, yeah. How is it going over in the Mac household? Well, this week, uh, we, as you know, we heard that 
daycares and schools have all been closed. So um, we've got a little one, Emily, and she goes to daycare a, a few days a week, and then she gets looked after by grandparents a couple of days a week. We decided that probably not a good idea to have the grandparents out and about taking transit, coming here, um, getting exposed to the little germ factory that is a two-year-old. Um, so we stopped that, and, and now with daycare done, I've been at home quite a bit this week. Um, which is awesome because Emily thinks it's like an extended weekend, right? She's like, it's the weekend. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> it might seem like that. Um, but we've, you know, we've adapted and we've come up with a bit of a new schedule. So basically every day at 3.30, 4, 4.30, whenever it happens, we have, uh, we, we sit down and we watch Dr. Dina Hinshaw, the provincial chief medical officer of health, deliver her daily update. And Emily with like no prodding from us at all, just loves Dr. Hinshaw. You say it. Dr. Hinshaw. And what is she going to tell us about? Coronavirus. Coronavirus, that's right. Do you like Dr. Hinshaw? Yeah. So I thought in a pandemic, I wouldn't get a chance to talk about free transit. And oh boy, was I wrong about that. In fact, this might be the time that we're most likely to actually get free transit. Yeah, this is really interesting. I'm curious to know what you found because you did a little digging on what what other municipalities are doing. But I guess the first thing we should say about transit this week is that it's been a bit of a debacle. So on Monday, the city announced that they were going to move service to Saturday levels. So they were going to lower service because they were noticing a drop in ridership. They anticipated that more and more people would stay home with the you know, continued um, reduction of everything around us. And so that's what they did on Tuesday. And that turned out to be a disaster because the buses were packed and there was no possible social, social isolation in that scenario. And you would think that they could have seen that coming. Who could have thought that if you reduce the quantity of buses, the existing buses would fill up? And of course, we have nothing like, at that point, job protected leave or right. you know extended EI benefits. So people still had to go to work, especially with other jurisdictions, potentially even scaling up their transit. I think that was a bit of an indicator of poor planning, but I think it also revealed a sort of underbelly that no one's really talking about because the motivations for the reduction were good. It wasn't a cost-saving measure. It was no. to reduce more buses so that they could clean them more frequently. If that's the case, that's an indicator that we need more buses. This is a chronically underinvested transit system. And if we can't deal with additional cleaning with our existing capacity, if we run out of buses because we want to clean a few of them, I think that's a problem, and that shows that we are way too close to our maximum capacity 100% of the time. Yeah, as you say, budget was definitely not going to be an issue here. They basically said at the emergency council meeting last Friday that, you know, we'll figure that out later, right? Like, we'll figure out what we need to pay later. Um, we're going to make sure we look after people. So it was a very odd decision that they couldn't just pay more people or hire more people or, you know, spend more money on contracted cleaning services. They have no problem contracting things otherwise, other times, you know, maybe those people are just all not working too. I don't know. And I, and I guess to be fair, this is a pretty challenging time, right? Things are changing constantly all the time. And I'm sure that, you know, that the management in charge at the city have lots of stresses right now. And so maybe, you know, I, I believe they were making probably a decision that was in the interests that they thought were in the best of interest for Edmontonians, but sober second thought maybe. 
Yeah. And credit to both the city and council. Um, they realized it didn't work very quickly and it changed. Well, because people complained, right? People mm. took to social media right away and were, were sort of vilifying the city for the way that they handled this. Like, that's the kind of thing that I mean. That's why I mean sober second thought. Like, did nobody say, wait a minute, maybe this is not going to achieve what we hope it will achieve? Yeah, I have to assume that we've heard in the past that the city can be a bit of a toxic environment, a place where people don't always feel comfortable speaking up against some decisions that they may not agree with. And I think right now everyone is very stressed. Now's the time where you most want that sober second thought, that whistleblowing culture, the idea of raising it up the flagpole. And I think now in a culture like that may be the time when those inputs are least welcome. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, but on the other hand of it, uh, so we have heard that there are almost 60 transit workers in isolation this week. Right. So they're not immune like everybody else. They're getting exposed and transit uh, officers are frontline staff, right? So the mayor has talked about wanting to prioritize testing for all kinds of frontline city workers. It makes sense to me. It's interesting because there's two sort of sides of the same coin. When you're talking social distancing on transit, there's distancing between passengers. You don't want people, you know, yeah. crammed up against each other, standing very close to each other. But you also don't want a potential contagion vector in the driver. You don't want a lot of people interacting with the driver, getting too close, and then the driver interacting with others. So you had so many municipalities and greater regional transit systems across Canada start to fix this problem. So Metro Vancouver suspended all bus fare to promote social distancing because, you know, if you're handling transfers, if you're handling cash to pay your fare, that's a huge transmission vector. Many municipalities around Canada enabled rear door boarding, which also means you can't pay. So Ottawa is rear door only boarding. So you're not allowed to get in the front of the bus unless you have a mobility aid like a wheelchair. And there's a physical like cordon off barrier between the driver and the rest of the passengers. Obviously, that means you can't pay cash. Um, and if they don't tap their Presto card at the back uh, because they have smart fare in yep. Ottawa, then you just don't pay. Um, Victoria, same deal. Hamilton, Guelph, Montreal, Kingston, Brandon, all have gone to free transit in this pandemic state because it just doesn't make sense to make people pay and risk that contagion for what does it matter? We're all spending money. Like you said, council's idea right now is let's make sure we get through this. We'll figure out the costs later. Yeah. I love the episode notes that you wrote here. It's LOL, reduced service, cram on $3.20, please. That is the Edmonton way. I think the only thing we did in Edmonton, correct me if I'm wrong, is they made the LRT doors open automatically. So you don't have to press the button anymore. Is that right? Uh, yes, they did do that. They did do a couple other things where um, low-income uh, transit pass users, their pass is just good for another month. They don't need to go downtown and get a new pass. Mm -hmm. So we did minor things like that. We just need free transit in Edmonton. We've needed it in general, but right now for this specific reason, this is something we need. And Councillor Aaron Paquette has been, he brought that motion right in front of council. Uh, they didn't seem very susceptible to it. I think with how quickly everything is changing, 
perhaps councils views on this will change and there are so many cities across canada doing this i think it's only a matter of time before edmonton jumps on the bus but i'd prefer it was sooner rather than later yeah definitely um speaking of the economics of it all though (laughs) hey did you know that covid19 is going to have an economic impact on the city of edmonton (laughs) in canada if you've checked your stocks lately you will know for sure um Yeah, I mean, and the interesting thing, I think, is that hopefully, at least, the health uh, crisis doesn't last too long. All of the measures that, you know, Alberta and other places are taking will get us over that, will flatten the curve, we'll get through that. The economic impact, the economic crisis is going to last a heck of a lot longer. And we're not immune to that here in Edmonton, of course. Um, That's going to have an impact for, obviously, individuals and businesses, but for the city as well. Um, so far, what we've heard from Mayor Iveson is that the city is working to try to defer property taxes, and they've also been working with EPCOR to defer, defer uh, utility bills, basically, um, just to try to let people, you know, work through this crisis economically, get through it um, a little bit better than they might otherwise be able to do. And that's on top of things that we're starting to hear about the province and uh, and the federal government and the actions that they're taking, which is really obviously where the the rubber needs to hit the road. Um, the mayor did say, you know, it was reassuring to hear Premier Kenny state that he would spare no expense in managing this public health emergency. Um, and he's, you know, already mentioned again that he's working with EPCOR. So what they're doing basically is a 90-day deferral for bill payments for anybody who's experiencing financial hardship. We've complained on the podcast previously about where is Mayor Iveson? Uh, we've there's been plenty of issues where we're like, why isn't he talking about this? Why isn't he making a statement? Why isn't he standing up to a certain individual? Iveson has been here all week. Um, when this started, Iveson was out the front door. He was controlling the message. He was working hard. When there was an issue with transit, it wasn't ETS or one of the counselors. It was the mayor tweeting, no, we're going to fix this. We hear you loud and clear. He has very clearly stepped into that mayoral role that we used to know him very much as. So I think what we're seeing is that Iveson is still the same leader that we've always known he was, but he's just not maybe super interested in the politics of it all. When it's a political fight, we've seen him go pretty radio silent. But on an issue like this, where it's the livelihood of Edmontonians at stake, he's really stepped up to bat. Absolutely. I think you, you've hit that right on the head. He's been great. He's especially, um, you know, next to the interim city manager, Adam Lachlan, who, you know, let's be honest, has been put into a pretty difficult position, probably isn't up for the job, um, and now has to deal with a pretty crazy uh, set of circumstances. You know, the mayor has looked really strong, confident. He's projected humanity and uh, his, his, his news conferences aren't quite as popular as Dr. Hinshaw's. Um, He's got to get a periodic table dress. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but you're right. He's done a really great job of controlling the message, being out there, being visible and, and saying the right things. One of the things you shared that I thought was phenomenally interesting was uh, Open Table, the uh, restaurant reservation system they released a state of the industry set of data and it was pretty jarring yeah they started publishing this in on a google sheet uh last week which was super interesting and basically what they did is they just looked for all the major cities in which they operate at the percentage decline in reserva- reservations for that day compared to a year before and i mean 
when you look at that data, it's pretty insane. Like you can see very clearly when things start to hit because, you know, there's back in February, kind of late February, some cities even had increases over the year previous. And we get into early March and it starts to decline. There's an awful lot of red and you get to, to now and it's basically like, you know, minus 100%. Like there are no reservations being happening now in most major cities because of all of the uh, um, decisions that have been made and closures of businesses and things like that. So it's a fascinating way to look at visually the impact of, uh, of what's happening with this pandemic. So one of the things that came up this week is in reference to some of these restaurants and bars is we had the provincial state of emergency was declared on Tuesday. And that gave the province some additional powers and prepared and set the stage for further powers down the line. But in that same announcement, it was basically said, almost everything is canceled. Um, We're closing a lot of businesses and any gathering above 50 people or half the, uh, capacity right. of otherwise, whichever number is lower, that's now the capacity limit of any gathering of people. And that's where, you know, the restaurants and bars started to get hit really hard. Um, Calgary and Red Deer have both declared states of emergencies, but Edmonton has declined to do so. Yeah, they've uh, brought it up a few times now at the, the emergency meeting on Friday, the meeting on Wednesday, the media keeps asking them, are you going to declare a local state of emergency? And so far, the mayor and uh, the city interim city manager, Lachlan, have said, no, we don't think that we need to right now. We don't need the um, powers that it gives us at this time. We're managing this crisis okay at the moment. Um, so to date, still in Edmonton, we, we've not done that. Compared to Calgary, obviously, we've been hit a lot less uh, hard than, than Calgary has. I mean, with the international flights that they have and just the increased number of people that would travel through there. And, and then now this week being named one of only four international ports of entry for the whole country. It's perhaps not surprising that they've had more cases. But it's interesting that, you know, in, in Calgary, their city council decided to do that pretty early on. And in Edmonton, we still haven't. I think it's also important to... Remember and reemphasize that a state of emergency, a lot of people misinterpret the state of emergency to mean that like a government is saying, oh, it's a state of emergency. Things are really bad and we're just letting people know we're raising the alarm. But a state of emergency, it's a legal mechanism that basically says we need extra powers that we wouldn't normally have democratically in order to handle this situation. And in Edmonton, I think. Part of it is because they are managing this okay without setting a state of emergency. So what are some of the powers that Edmonton might get if they declared a state of emergency? I was very curious about this. So I looked it up and Alberta is is covered under the Emergency Management Act. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but there's a few key powers that you get as a municipality if you declare a state of local emergency. So one is you can put any sort of emergency plan or program into operation you get to exercise powers normally given on, uh, to the minister um, in, in relation to things affected by the declaration in the municipality. And of course, the big one is that you get the ability to borrow money. So during the state of local emergency or within 60 days after, you can, without advertising by bylaw, um, borrow money necessary to pay expenses caused by the emergency. And that might include you know, services that the other orders of government provide, which is super interesting. Um, but that's really the key thing that you need a, or you might um, 
call a state of local emergency for is to be able to uh, borrow more money to be able to pay for things that have come up as a result of the emergency without having to go through the usual process. You've seen it both at the provincial and the federal level where, uh, you know, Trudeau got together cabinet and basically passed a legislative resolution that said, I have authority to do stuff. I can respond to this emergency and we don't need to call back the legislature each time. I can just go ahead and I've got carte blanche to handle this emergency. And a lot of that is what, in so many words, the state of emergency gets you to. It lowers down the bureaucracy and allows people to just solve the problems. I think part of the reason why the state of emergency um, hasn't been invoked is one, they don't need to borrow right now. Um, We're mostly not overspending. But two, council seems to be pretty effective at actually getting things done in a reasonable amount of time. You haven't seen a lot of grandstanding from councillors about various issues and debate. It's mostly been there's an emergency committee. They see, hey, buses are a problem and they solved the buses problem. And what's the next problem on the board? And let's solve it. And you don't have a lot of dysfunction or disagreement on council. It's just moving quickly, which I think lowers the need for such a state of emergency. You also, I have to mention this at this point, have actually good questions from counselors who don't normally ask them. Um, <laughs> I've, I've talked before on the show about Mobanga and how sometimes his questions leave you scratching your head. Uh, but on Friday when they were talking about having city employees work from home and um, and the pros, program that's been put, put in place for that, the guidance, he asked about data security and what was happening. And it was like, really? That's a great question. Like, what is happening? And the city said they've got a plan. But, um, you know, some of the other questions that came up were like, what should we do on social media? Should we be just retweeting the mayor's tweets or the city's tweets? Like, as you say, they've been thinking about this in a sort of like, let's get this done kind of approach rather than, as we've heard most recently, I would say for the last few months, this sort of grandstanding approach. With Mo, one of the chief qualifications he had uh, when he was campaigning was he had his service with the Edmonton Police Service. Um, And we've harped on uh, the Edmonton Police many a time before. But one of the things that police officers are generally pretty good at is under pressure responding to emergencies. So maybe this is the time where uh, Mobanga is able to thrive. Um, Hopefully, we don't give him a lot of opportunities to thrive because I don't enjoy the situation much. But it's really great to actually see council coming together and asking good questions and solving the situation pretty well. Absolutely. But let's move on to the other business and community side because we've got some good news stories of council handling the situation but you also put together a couple links of just some local good news which i think everyone's a little bit hungry for right now right we've been curating information as we do all week long for our our roundups at Tapper Edmonton. And so we found some interesting things through that process. Um, We can kind of rapid fire through these if you like, but uh, one that is interesting is called Yeg Tech Cares. So this is 13 companies from the local tech community who basically have asked uh, volunteer participants to donate one hour's worth of their wages a month to the food bank um, for three months. So one hour's wages is not a huge amount, but it adds up quite a bit. One of the companies, We Know Training, works out to about $12,000 a month. For another one, CompuVision, 
Um, it's about $7,000 a month, and then they are matching any of those uh, donations. So this is a nice thing that they're doing. And, and obviously the reason that they came up with this is because in general, tech companies are salaried, their employees are salaried. Um, you know, they're not at risk. They already work from home potentially, uh, you know, like you. So they're per- perhaps not as impacted as some other businesses. So I thought that was a nice thing to uh, step up and, and offer. I can empathize right here. I have not at any point in this pandemic thought, hey, I'm worried for my job, which puts me, I recognize, at a significant point of privilege uh, with most Edmontonians. Yeah. So it's really nice to see the tech industry step up there. Um, what's Spontively? Spontively is a local app. They've got a partnership with the city of Beaumont. And basically, it's designed to help you find unique events that you might want to participate in. So you might have liked it, actually, during your 216-day um you know, go out and do something experience. They've now tweaked the app. They saw that people were using it in a slightly different way. And uh, now you can use the app to find groceries and other supplies. So, you know, it's still about connecting with the community and, you know, getting that sort of information uh, about people around you, but being put to good use here in something that has been a problem. Where can I get toilet paper? The other one that's interesting that came through is Seniors Shopping Hour, which is something that's gone nationwide at Sobeys. Uh, basically, seniors get to shop for an hour before everyone else comes into the store and takes things or uh, contaminates things because seniors are pretty vulnerable. And I thought that was really interesting. And I noticed it when I went out for my uh, necessary grocery trip a couple days ago. Um, most stores have taken to this. Uh, Save On Foods, which I went to, I wanted some eggs. Eggs were sold out and there was a note saying, hey, we're limiting the quantities. And I could see there were more eggs in the back, but those were being prepped for the next morning to put out so that the uh, vulnerable seniors that come through were able to have some eggs before they got sold out. The hoarding frustrates me because, again, there are the same number of people eating today that were eating yesterday. And supply chains generally haven't been that interrupted. So... There should be no shortage of food, but given that there is some shortage due to human behavior, it's really nice to see these grocery stores step up and manage that demand so that people who need it can actually get it. Yeah, and I, it reminds me of something else that launched recently, I think also at Sobeys, which was the uh, sensory hour, right? So you can shop when they've turned the lights down, they turn the noise down. If you've got sensory challenges, um, you can use that time. So this is, uh, it reminded me a lot of that, that, you know, that same idea, but applied to our current circumstance. And as you say, lots of other grocery chains have now adopted the same thing. So that's great. So you've seen a lot of these things, obviously, and you shared them with me as we prepped for this episode. Um, that's because Taproot's continuing to do all sorts of stuff through this pandemic. So take us through what Taproot is still doing. Yeah, we decided um, recently, I guess it feels like ages ago, but recently that, you know, we didn't want to contribute to the noise. We wanted to try to help people understand what's happening around them a little bit better. And that's kind of the reason that we exist. So we're continuing to do our our daily roundups, our various uh, topics that come out every day. We're curating the news related to those topics. 
Almost all of it is COVID, but we're trying to, to help you make sense of it. There's basically no events anymore in those roundups. So um, that's a change from from what they usually look like. Um, but we were talking about like what else we could do because um, the roundups are great and they're useful, but there's perhaps more we could do during this, uh, this pandemic. And who knows how long it's going to go on. Um, there's going to be a greater, greater need for both finding information that is actually useful and accurate um, and and finding information that might surprise you or might delight you in some way. So we just put out a call in a couple of the roundups and in our, our regular newsletter and said, we'd like to do something with COVID. We don't want to just contribute to the noise. Do you have anything you're curious about? That's where Taproot started. It's like, what are what are our members, what is the community curious about? And we weren't sure. We thought if we only get a couple of responses, okay, we'll just keep doing the roundups. We'll um, you know, try to keep people informed that way. But we got dozens of questions, actually. And so we're launching a, a new site. If you go to taprootedmonton.ca, um, there'll be a banner right at the top there. You can click on it. It'll take you there. Our approach here is around curation and curiosity. So we are taking questions from our community, um, from Edmontonians. You can submit one if you like. And then we're curating the information from the news sources. Because what we found is that um, every day, there's another couple dozen news stories, it seems, about what's happened locally, and they all contain, you know, the nuggets of information that would answer your question. But because there's so many, and because they change so frequently, and because the title generally doesn't match that question, it can be hard to find them. So we're hoping this will be like a little bit of a community glossary for the things that people are wondering about related to um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yay, journalism is all I have to say or that. Uh, so people can just head over to taprootedmonton.ca and there'll be a banner right on the top. Yep, just click on that. It'll take you off to the site. You can browse the um, existing questions that we've already curated and answered and we're adding new ones all the time. We've got a couple of our uh, excellent curators working on that. And so if you've got new questions, you can submit those as well. And uh, we'll keep we'll keep posting as long as people keep finding it useful and there's uh, new questions that arise as things change, we'll keep updating it. As always, speak municipally, and we're a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB, and ATB hasn't been doing nothing this uh, whole time. They've actually uh, stepped up and helped out with some uh, customer relief during the pandemic. Yeah, normally we would read one of the canned ATB ads at this point. Um, hopefully they're okay with us uh, reading a little bit of their news release that they put out this week saying, starting immediately, customers will be able to apply for deferred payments for mortgages, personal and business loans. ATB Financial is rolling out a customer relief program to help Albertans through these challenging times. So lots of banks we've seen across the country have uh, stepped up and, and started offering similar, similar things. Um, it's great that ATB is doing that here as well for Albertans. We're going to read some of the quotes from it. They said, quote, we are here for Albertans through the good times and bad, just as we have been for nearly 82 years. This is from Curtis, the president and CEO of ATB Financial. He said, quote, this is a time to go band together, support and take care of one another. We are resilient and we will get through this together, end quote. You can learn more about it at ATB.com. Yeah. Uh, and that's all for this week. What does the future hold? I don't know. A week ago was years ago, and we weren't in a state of emergency. So I guess you're just going to have to tune in next week and find out. And until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're speaking, speaking municipally. municipally. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs>